You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Greetings, Earthlings. Alan Seiler. What's up, folks? And Veronica Daschle. Hi. Okay, we have some news this week. First, Out Magazine ran a multi-cover issue featuring the queer cast members of Star Trek Discovery, Anthony Rapp, Wilson Cruz, Emily Coots, Mary Wiseman, Blue Del Barrio, Ian Alexander, and Tig Nataro. Wow. With a big photo shoot for each one of them with really outlandish costumes and really outlandish makeup and really in-depth interviews with each of them. And I thought it was such an interesting, I mean, it got a lot of press. I mean, this was like high profile release when it came out. So I think this has brought some uh, attention to the show, particularly on its week that it's returning to the screen, which I think is really awesome. Yes. And what did did y'all think of the of the releases that we saw so far? I think they look incredible. Yeah. I wish they dressed that way on the show. (laughs) (laughs) They're like crazy futuristic looking outfits and and bright makeup. And and I've been looking. I. Maybe I don't know. I'm just getting out of touch. Can you just go to the store and buy these magazine covers? Yes. Good. Excellent. So do so. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was really cool. And it's it's nice to have this aspect of the show featured this way. And it's nice to bring some extra attention to the show itself. So I thought it was really cool. I haven't read the Tignataro article yet, which I mean, that should have been the first one that I read. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And uh, the second news article that I've got is very, very sad one. February 7th, Douglas Trumbull, who is a writer, director, producer, special effects master, legendary figure in film and particularly genre film, passed away at the age of 79. And this man created some of the most iconic special effects sequences in the history of film. You know his work from 2001 Space Odyssey, Andromeda Strain, Silent Running, which is one of my favorite films in the history of filmmaking. Yeah. Close Encounters, Star Trek, the motion picture, Blade Runner, and most recently in 2011, a film called Tree of Life. I mean, this man literally changed what film looked like. Mm -hmm. What a talent. And he saved Star Trek, the motion picture. Yeah. Yes. Because they were not going to get the film done in time because the the original special effects company couldn't deliver. And they had pre-sold the motion picture to theaters. And there was there was talk of a class action lawsuit if they didn't deliver. It could have I mean, it it could have brought down Paramount Pictures. It was such a big deal. So um, they brought in. And it would have been the end of Star Trek, too. uh, Yeah, definitely. This end of Star Trek also, I mean. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And they brought in Trumbull uh, to get it done. And he did. And I think his work on the film is incredible. Uh, Absolutely. One of the most amazing special effects sequences I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah. Even people who don't like the motion picture because some people think it's boring, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody nobody argues about the fact that it's a wonderful looking film. Right. Right. Uh, Alan, you mentioned something else that um, I I guess in the sci-fi community, I 
I'm pleasantly surprised at how many people have seen Silent Running. I love that film. Oh my gosh, I love Such that movie. Yeah, he Holy. wrote and directed it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and there was another one. Uh, there was a, a TV series that he produced uh, and worked on called The Star Lost. Yes, which is something I'm mm. not familiar with. Yeah. It was from like what seventy eight, I think. No, it was earlier than that. It was I want to say seventy one, seventy two. That was the one oh. that it was a Harlan Ellison who had written it, but then right. Harlan Ellison took his name off it. So now it's Cord Wayner Bird. Um, <laughs> right, but yeah, Star Lost is an infamous story. But if you're interested in the Star Lost, uh, all the episodes of Star Lost are on YouTube. I don't know if that's legally, but they're there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saw Star Lost in the first run, so I I remembered at the end of my memory. But Charles, I had to laugh when you say Harlan also took his name off of it because that's kind of part for the course of Harlan. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So that's it for the news this week. <laughs> All right, Keith. You have some this week in Trek this week? We do. Let me run through it real quick because there's a whole bunch of stuff, but I'll do some quick ones, some high level ones. Uh, this one, I like to throw in some weird, weird kind of silly ones sometimes. This person was born on February 6, 1926. And I can't do these impersonations very well, but let's see if you know who this is. This person played <laughs> Enoch the Sleestack <laughs> in The Land of the Lost. Okay. And also voiced Freddie the Flute. For those who remember. Oh, I know who Freddie from, the Flute is. Yeah. Okay, who is it? From uh, Puffin Stuff. Uh huh. Yeah, Freddie the Flute from Puffin Stuff. Hey, oh, I do. I, I, okay, I, that, that's not going to tell you anything. I can do this. This will give it away in, in two seconds. Um, in your vernacular, he would be Mr. Hyde to my Dr. Jekyll. And then that horrible little laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, oh, it's not Vic Perrin. It's, no. um, I can't think of his name. But he played Baylock on Carbamite. That's right. Trust me, I don't think anybody would know this guy. No offense to him. Uh, Walker mm. Edmondston was his name. And you're right. I was stunned because everybody knows the voice of Baylock with little Clint Howard as the visual. Right. But I did not know he played Freddy the Flute. And I watched Land of the Lost first run. I remember Enoch, the intelligent stack. Oh, I remember Enoch. I didn't watch it first run, but I, I loved Land of the Lost. You're so Yeah. Young. <laughs> I watched I know, it on right? the Sci-Fi Channel in the early '90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was a first runner. Also, great show. I loved it. Yeah, and on a weird six degrees of separation kind of thing, uh, he voiced Enoch. Enoch's first appearance on Land of Lost was an episode written by Walter Koenig. Mm. Oh wow! Yeah, it's wow. kind of wild. Walter Koenig also, I think, I know he appeared on on Star Lost, and he may have written for Star Lost as well. But I know oh, Walter Koenig appeared right. on Star Lost. Interesting. Very. Not that interesting, but thanks. I think it's interesting. Oh, oh good. <laughs> Genuinely interesting. February 6, 1958. Moogie was born. Oh, wait, Moogie was born or Rom, who said that line, was Moogie. born? Yeah. Oh, okay. Moogie oh, was okay. born. Yeah, that was misleading. Yeah. Yeah, is that Cecily Adams? <laughs> so which, which Moogie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the one Cecily Adams who played Ishka. She was born on February 6, 1958. Here's the funny thing. Although she played um, Rom and Cork's mother, she was 10 years younger than they were, Wow, which is kind of interesting. I mean, it happens. I mean, I think what was her name? Estelle Parsons on the Golden Girls wasn't nearly as old. As, yeah, she uh, they was made significantly her younger than the others. <laughs> <laughs> no, she yeah. wasn't younger than the others, but she was younger than the character. And it's Estelle Getty. 
Still, what I call <laughs> get your Golden Girls right. Come on. <laughs> uh, then one of the claim to fame for Cecily Adams, she was the daughter of Don Adams, as in Agent Maxwell Smart of Control. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, kind of cool. Um, another one that everybody probably has seen, Megan Gallagher was born on February 6, 1960. Megan Gallagher has been in all kinds of television shows and television movies and so forth. But people probably, I would say, probably know her most as the nurse from the classic DS9 episode, Little Green Men. Yep. Mm. When Cork and Company went back in time. She also played Morell in the DS9 mm-hmm. episode, Invasive Procedures, yep. where the, the one um, Trill who felt he had been cheated out of Dax came to the station and stole the Dax symbiote. And she also played. Jaren in your favorite episode, Alan, Voyager's Body and Soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I didn't. I, I knew the other two. And when you said the name, I was like, I know that. Yeah. But I didn't remember that one because I don't think I've ever watched Heart and Soul a second time. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I actually like that one. But and she oh, is. I know su- you do. <laughs> <laughs> and she's the sister-in-law to Catherine Hicks. Oh, OK. Oh, well, yeah. that's neat. I didn't yeah. know that. Isn't that cool? To yeah. uh, 1982, February 6th, Alice Eve was born. Okay. Carol Marcus. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And then just a couple of more, that, a couple I cannot miss here. February 8th. Here I go again. I love these dates. 1918. Jesus. Yes. Uh, let's see if I can do it. No, okay. Jesus was born significantly <laughs> earlier than that. <laughs> let's do it. Let me see. Oh, this, is, this will give it away in five seconds. Christine. It's still me. I'm in here. Oh. I'm the same as before. That's Perhaps Roger, even better. That's Roger Corby. That's I right. I don't know the actor's name offhand. Yeah, Michael Strong. Mm. Good old Roger Corby was born this day. I'm sorry, February 8th, 1955. February 8th, Ethan Phillips was born. Huh. Wow. Oh. I know who that is. That's Felix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good, Good job. job. Yeah, yeah, I know something. <laughs> And I have to say, we, we we talked about things like this before. We actually did a little thing one time. We talked about Trek you like that you don't like as much or you didn't like that you do like as much. Having completed my Voyager rewatch, I like Neelix a lot more than I did. He used to get on my nerves. I like him a lot more because, frankly, a lot of times Neelix stepped up when others didn't. And, and then I think if you look at some of his backstory, which they didn't do a whole lot of, Neelix had a really tragic backstory with all the people he lost, family and his the people in his race. So. I've actually come to like that character a lot more. I like him more once Kess leaves. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I kind of agree with that, too. Yeah. Although I never was... cared much for him at any time. So. Not that I disliked him, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's do just uh, two more Two more, real quick. Um, 10th of February, 1929, the great Jerry Goldsmith. And what else can be said about Jerry Goldsmith? Wow. Uh, Gene Rottenberry's pick to score the cage and the original theme for the series, but he wasn't available to do so. So he recommended his friend Alexander Courage, which is why Alexander Courage is the one who wrote the opening theme for Star Trek. But all was not lost because Jerry Goldsmith came back later on and wrote the now iconic theme for Star Trek The Next Generation, among others. He also wrote the opening theme for Voyager and he scored for five star trek movies yeah well he he wrote the theme for the motion picture which they reused for the next generation next generation right yeah 
And it was, yeah, you know, it's weird when you read that stuff. It's amazing the little variations in it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of considered a separate song, but I guess okay. you don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so he did um, The Next Generation and Voyager. And he also did the movies um, The Final Frontier, First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. Wow. And of course, that's just a, the track connection. The man's just done so much more stuff. And, you know, it'd take forever just to talk about his musical credits. Yeah. And, Last one we're going to do, the 11th of February, 1932. Another easement. There's no way to get around it without uh, you guessing it. This person was told the following. Leave whatever bigotry you have in your quarters. There's no room on the bridge. Do I make myself clear? That was... I, I can't remember the actor's name. Oh, it's The character is Styles. Yeah. Right. From Balance of Terror. Right. Yes. And I can't remember the actor's name. Mm-mm. I honestly didn't know his name. Uh, Paul Comey, C-O-M-I. Yeah, that's right. Because I just watched that episode a couple of nights ago and made note of that. And of course, now I can't remember it. Yeah, just one of the classic performances and one of the classic episodes of Trek. Balance of Terror is absolutely in my top 10 of all Trek of all time, mm-hmm. period. Never get bored of that. Right. And that is This Week in Trek History. Awesome. Well, we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll get into our discussion topics. So stay right there. Drew Leiter here. Wish you could keep up on DC Comics, but don't have the time or the money? Not a problem. Join Cletus Jacobs and I as we bring you recaps and commentary on DC Comics, television, movies, and more, whether they are good or not. The Earth Station DCU podcast comes out weekly and is part of the ESO Network. All right, so this episode's going out on Valentine's Day, so we thought it'd be fun to talk about our favorite relationships in Star Trek. Um, so we all we all picked a favorite, and um, and then and then we'll all talk about our uh, our favorites that never happened on screen that we wish would have happened. So who wants to kick it off? Who who wants to jump out with a favorite relationship in Star Trek? Judzi and Worf. Oh, that's a good one. They had the most amazing relationship. One. Yeah. So what was it about that 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 hooked you they were complete opposites but they fit together so well you mm-hmm. mean like in temperament they were opposites yes because in a lot of ways they were alike too uh, yeah i mean there weren't okay so let's let's talk about Worf's relationships he had kalar <laughs> that never went anywhere no. he had troy that was a weird mix yes. um and they were they were opposites and then you get jadzia and she's sort of like the the middle ground there she is mm. like the best of both of those things. She was silly and she was uh, very lighthearted and she was fun. And, but she was also steeped in Klingon tradition and Klingon mm-hmm. history. She knew her stuff. She knew how to relate to him as a Klingon. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's a lot of times in Star Trek, I don't say a lot, but there's several times in Star Trek where characters who weren't originally um, planned to be in a relationship, getting into a relationship and it just doesn't work. Yeah. You know, right. it, it's yeah. just awkward. But I think it worked right. really well for those two, because on the one hand, you have Jadzia, 
who they've already established the Klingon mm-hmm. history with. But then on the other hand, you have Worf, and it was a recurring theme through Next Generation that Worf couldn't find a woman that he felt was worthy of him or could handle him or was a good match for him. Um, going back right. to the back to season one, and then season two when Kalar came on, that was that came up several times in Next Gen. So it, when mm-hmm. those two meet and you had those sparks fly, it just makes sense. Yeah, exactly. They he talked about uh, and there was an offhand sort of like uh, line in one of the episodes, and it was about you know the woman that could stand up to a Klingon, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I never understood Worf and Troy, mm-hmm. like. How how could that work? Oh, but, you're talking about, it, you're talking about knocking boots. Well, I wasn't specifically, but that is certainly an <laughs> element of what I'm implying here. Yeah, and you can totally see that working with Jadzia. Oh yeah, I think it was a very interesting thing about Worf that now I'm thinking about what you, you guys are saying because if you think about it, all three of the women are temperamentally opposite from Worf. Even even like Kalar is half Klingon. But she is, she had a really kind of a sarcastic and sardonic sense of humor. Like, I, I, I like when she first saw Worf and, I, and everybody loved, loved her, uh, that character. She said, what did she say? Something like not even a bite on the cheek to say hello. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she was always tweaking that, him. That's <laughs> in my little uh, book mm-hmm. of Next Generation quotes. Hmm. Yeah. And it was because <laughs> Worf was taking, you know, I think as Guinan once said in the episode, I think it was, the, I think, it, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was the two part episode where they were getting rid. Gosh, was it with the one where they were going to have, they had to cling on Civil War. But one of the things I thought was interesting is remember Guinan basically pointed out to Worf, Klingons laugh, you don't laugh. Hmm. It was the whole thing was he knew about right. being a Klingon from a book. And so Kalar kind of tweaked him and Jadzia, who, who had some ways, well, not in some ways, as Curzon, she had more experience with the Klingon people than Worf did, also yeah. kind of tweaked him. It's kind of like, calm down. And I guess the logic with Troy is because she's an empath and a gentle person, maybe she could kind of handle Worf. Because in a lot of ways, Worf sometimes acted almost like a spoiled kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he acted out a lot, maybe. I think more importantly, the element about Kalar that made that uh, relationship a difficult one is that she was completely dismissive of tradition. Yeah. And even, you know, called it Klingon nonsense. Right. She just did not have the same commitment to honor and tradition and, uh, you know, established ways of Klingonness that that Worf did. And Jadzia did have that, even though yes. she's not a Klingon, she yeah. embraced all that. You're right. So I agree on what you said. She was kind of in between. She had the patience. Jadzia had the patience and understanding Troy would have given him. Yeah. But she also knew what he was as a Klingon. So she could appreciate and understand his values a little better. And she than could have a good Batleth battle with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Troy would yeah. never do that. No. <laughs> yeah. And I, as I think we discussed before when I've, I've read stuff about Star Trek and stuff, when Worf, uh, when Michael Dorn first came on to Deep Space Nine, and his first introduction or his first meeting with Dax was when Dax had convinced Kira to go into some kind of, I don't know, Arthurian, middle-aged, Renfair-looking thing. Yep. And she comes out dressed like a lady from an English court. And Worf just looks at her and says, nice. Was it nice dress or nice hat? Nice, nice hat. dress. Uh, nice. I thought it was dress. Yeah, nice. No hat. It was hat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've referenced that line numerous times on yeah. this show. And it's yeah. always been hat. <laughs> and the funny thing is the producers literally had not planned. They hadn't even thought about them as a couple and they saw something. And right then and there, they thought, huh, maybe we could do something with those two. Yeah. And they were right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. 
I was going to say real quick, because Veronica, you said that was your favorite couple. A lot of people hated Worf and Jadzia to, no, not Worf and Jadzia, but the one that followed, Worf and Esri. Did you feel that that was even necessary to play around with? Did you like that at all? Um, I I think it was necessary to to have a little thing um, Mm -hmm. just so there was some closure there. Yeah. Um, especially with bringing the character back, like they tried and they were both like, mm, no, this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. 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 And if someone around with your dead spouse's memories, that would be weird. You know, that very something that needs to be addressed. <laughs> yeah. Very weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's up next? Keith is. Okay. Uh, well, I got to go for. Well, I, I guess it's not necessarily obvious, but I think of all. There's been very few long-term stable couples in Trek history. Um, yeah, I think we've talked before on the show that Trek has a problem with two things, which is um, couples and people's relationships with their parents. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody has, especially fathers. Like nobody likes their parent in Star Trek. And for a long time, stable couples in Star Trek were almost verboten. And some mm-hmm. of it was the, the writers thought that they're in the military. It couldn't happen. And if you go back, you think about, I think the first real stable couple in Trek would be, well, Keiko and Miles. Because mm-hmm. before that, yeah. you had Troy and Riker kind of on and off, but Keiko and Miles. And then uh, later on, we have um, Tom Paris and Bellana. But my favorite couple in all of Trek, bar none, is Benjamin Sisko and Cassidy Gates. Yep. For so many reasons, it's so hard. It's just I I love them. They work together very well. Um, I love the fact that I would really say to this date, probably more than any couple I've seen in Trek, they really had a a romantic relationship. They courted each other. Uh, I remember the episode, and we talked about it's so hard to remember episodes of Deep Space Nine, but it was one of those episodes when Ben, it was when Ben was going off to war. They did like a old school romantic goodbye kiss. Um, they had fights. Ben, there's one episode I just watched where when Ben was going to marry her, the prophets showed up and did their prophet thing where it's like, well, you can't do that. That's not your path, blah, blah, blah. And if you marry Cassidy, your future is going to be horrible. And he had to decide if he wanted to listen to the prophets or marry her. I loved her relationship with Jake. And again, I've said this many times, but it is what it is. As a black man growing up, when I did, you didn't see a lot of black couples on television, mm. and especially dramatic black couples. For me, that's always a very important point. You can see a lot of comedic couples. But to see a black couple that was romantic and stable and formed a beautiful, loving family, they just meant a lot to me. And they are still my favorite couple. Now, I think in terms of connectivity and being a real couple, I think that uh, Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp, Rapp may be giving them a run for their money. Uh, because it's just you know, it's just weird to me to see a, a couple in track that just is together and seems happy. Because um, Keiko and Miles, to me, they just be- they just argued too much. But I loved everything about Cisco and Cassidy, from the courtship to the arguments to coming together and forming a new family with Jake. Mm. Just love everything about them. Yeah, and they're a rare couple too because you get to follow them from first date. All the way yeah. up through being married and pregnant mm-hmm. and like, you know, yeah, that's true. Even Miles and Keiko, like we I think we met Keiko like on the, the wedding episode. <laughs> <You know>? oh, <laughs> <good point. laughs> Was she ever in the show before Day to Day? Uh, ooh, good question. I 
don't know. I, I could be wrong, but that's my recollection was that was Keiko's first episode. Um, but it certainly wasn't. We didn't follow Miles and Keiko from their first date onward. No, and 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 also Charles, I remember on that wedding thing, she was already saying call, the wedding was going to be called. That's off. true. That's true. And they set up they set a pattern with those two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I love the whole Cisco family, and I, I thought Cassidy yes. was a great addition to that, and and relatable too, because I mean every relationship mm-hmm. at some point you catch your significant other working with a maquis and have to send them off to jail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the hard decisions we all make. <laughs> yeah, that was a great one. <laughs> They worked through it. Yeah. All right, Alan, you want to go? We're going to go. Uh, you go. All right. I still haven't decided. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. Yeah. I, I, then I'll, my first thought was Worf and Judzi. And then my second thought was um, Cisco and Cassidy. So I'm going to go with my third choice, <laughs> which is, uh, it's a funny and sweet couple, which is Rom and Lita. Oh, yeah. I love, oh, I love, yeah. I love Rom and Lita. Uh, I think yeah. they're just super sweet together. And there wouldn't be a couple that you'd expect if you saw those two characters in the same room. You wouldn't imagine no. those. But I just love that um, Rom, he was so beat down all the time. Yes. And the fact that he found someone was happy and we all know what happened with his first wife and he got swindled and he got she got the money and he got stuck with the kid, which he was happy with. But it doesn't sound like it was a very happy relationship. So I love that. Um, I love that Rom, you know found happiness and i love that lita did too because Dabo girls didn't have it easy either so no right exactly yeah because there's many episodes where cork is the way he's talking to lita is basically i think i mean i think there's even one episode where he literally says i don't pay you to think you know that, I, I yeah pay you to, it was you know, that episode yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, i guess that's one thing they've had in common with their cork is a jerk to both of them <laughs> <laughs> well then that's right. something everybody has in common right <laughs> oh that's funny i thought and i think what's interesting about rom because star trek does this all the time which is they take aliens and they you know they graft on these aliens attitudes and mores that we at least in the western world disagree with and then they kind of slowly make those aliens become more like what we think a human should be yeah and i love the fact that as nice a guy as rom was he still had some kind of Ferengi issues like you know you have many of those episodes where even he was telling Moogie to take her clothes off when they go mm-hmm. to her house that weird stuff yeah and I like the fact that when he and um leader about to get married there was a huge fight about the things such as owning property and all that and he was still kind of old school mm-hmm. and leader was her attitude was no I'm not going to be that kind of wife I'm not going to be naked at the wedding naked at the wedding <laughs> <I'm> not- <laughs> I caught myself <laughs> You can say it however you yeah, want. Yeah, you can be yourself, man. That yeah, is like totally. the, that, that is literally like the one Texas thing that slips through my speech. And uh, <laughs> I like the fact that Rom was still having to kind of get with the times and, and well, well, adapt because he was still wanting her to be kind of traditional. He was okay with her working, but it, but it was kind of the lines of, well, wait a minute. The money should be mine. You should take your clothes off and all this weird stuff. And she was basically saying, look, buddy, no. And they almost didn't go through a marriage because of some of those things as well. But yeah. he made it. And I, and I love uh, that um, Dr. Bashir, I presume, which is not even a, I mean, they're not even the A story really in that. But I just yeah. I love their storyline in that. And I love that bit at the end. It's like the old fashioned movie where she's she's getting on the on the train to leave. And he's he comes screaming down the hallway. Right. Oh, that. <laughs> yeah. That's the one where they brought uh, Robert Picardo in. As, right. Uh, Dr. Zinnerman. Right. Yep. And that's got one of the funniest scenes in all the track because literally when you thought Lita had broken his heart, 
like two seconds later, you see the doctor rapping through some other woman on the show. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's um, refresh my memory real quick. If you all remember, I forget there was one. It's a funny line, but it, when Lita first told somebody that she had a crush on Rom, they were kind of like, you're kidding. It was one of those things where she described the person or she described like this person is sweet and gentle. And then I forget who she was talking to and they, well, who is it? And she says, Rom. And they go, you're kidding. I can't remember who it was she was talking to. No, I remember that scene too. I gotta go back and look up that. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember who she was talking to either. Seems like it was Jadzia, but I do not remember if that's the case or Could not. be. Or Kira. Yeah. Know if she and Kira Could have been Kira. Talking. Oh yeah, or both of them. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just say it's them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alan. Oh my gosh. I don't know. This is, this is like the one aspect of science fiction shows that I just don't care much about. <laughs> so I will just go with Culber and Stamets. Hey, just because, you know, it's nice to see a different aspect of the audience represented on screen mm-hmm. and Star Trek notoriously avoided the gay issue for so many years Mm -hmm. and it's just nice to see in discovery that uh, gay folks have a place in the future yeah and that you know when we first saw them they really sort of had a struggle and hugh died and you know then he came back and he was like crazy in a different you know and it was just like (laughs) struggle after struggle but they've worked through all that and they've become this really solid really lovely couple this really uh solid presence on the ship and have now got this little adoptive family that they have sort of taken in of these two like stray refuge kind of kids and and it's just sweet yeah and i think it's absolutely fun to watch and they just seem to have so much chemistry together and it's in in the same way that the relationship between cisco and um cassidy is is a believable relationship i feel like this is too Mm. like some of the on-screen chemistry between picard and crusher you know it just Mm -hmm. never really it never really I don't know, felt, I don't know, like there was that much of a connection between them, but, but this does, this feels like it's a solid thing. Yeah. So that's my pick. Yeah. And I love that they all seem to just love each other in real life too. Uh, you know, the, the yeah. whole, the, their whole little family that they're very exactly. supportive of each other. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like with, um, with uh, Cisco and Jake where, you know, in real life they had that real father-son type relationship to each other and i feel like um you know the the whole stamets family just feels that way to me too anytime i see them talking to or about each other off uh you know off camera yeah exactly so there you go now i have to figure out what to pick for the next (laughs) that's right i have no idea (laughs) all right so keith you had suggested um are the couples that we wish would have been couples yeah this is one everybody remembers and they were a couple but they were only a couple for a minute but and i think alan what you just said is so fascinating because i bounced back and forth between these two and that is the did picard and crusher need to be a couple but the one person that was introduced on the show that i thought i'm not going to say matched picard better but i loved them together was nella darren and do y'all remember the her no. she was the 
She was the other redhead in Picard's life. She was the one who came into, um, she was worked in um, astrophysics lab. And she was the one person when they started falling for each other, what Picard told her about the flute that he had learned to play. Is this the and lady with the piano? Yeah, she okay. played oh, the piano. That. <laughs> yeah. That is definitely I, one I've never watched a second time. <laughs> well, the ep- well, and actually, maybe the reason you wouldn't watch it is one of the things that frustrates me about because they were a couple, but then they ended it. And I hate the way it ended. Bottom line is, spoilers for those who haven't seen it, they get into a situation where she almost died on an away mission and Picard was freaking out and he felt as if his worry for her compromised his command ability. Mm. And mm-hmm. also, especially... This, you know, nowadays, I don't know if this would have been done because he is her commanding officer. But as a woman, the show at the show, when she basically said they realized they couldn't serve on the ship together, she basically said, I'll request the transfer. Mm. And that kind of sucks. I mean, it's like, you know, you get to the flagship of the Federation, but you can't leave because you just had a, a relationship with your captain and now it can't work out. They were a couple, but I wish they could have stayed a couple longer. I liked their chemistry together. I liked her sophistication. I liked her poise. Honestly, she's a character who could have been a starship captain in another writing mm. that actress. I've always liked the actress. Yeah. So Wendy Hughes was her name. I think okay. she passed away a few years ago. Oh. Um, they were just a, a brief couple that I wish we could have seen more of. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I'll go next then. It's nobody's volunteering and I'm going to cheat because I said mine like three weeks ago on the podcast, but I think that uh, Jake and Zial would have been, a great couple together. I think they it would have given Jake something more to do in those later years when he was, you know, hanging around being a writer. And I think it would have been a I think she would have had more chemistry with him than she had with Garrick. She couldn't possibly have had less chemistry with him than she had with Garrick. And um, <laughs> I think it would have been a nice twist on the relationship that they're, you know, that their fathers are mortal enemies, you know, and, yeah. you know, on opposite sides of this. They're basically leading opposite sides of the war. And and I know it's a bit Romeo and Juliet, but I would have enjoyed it anyway. And um, I mean, anytime you get a chance to to put some real drama and stakes into the characters and the relationships, you know, uh, like I love it when Jake stayed behind and and Cisco is upset about it, you know, when they had to abandon the station and things like that, that, you know, with not artificial drama, but things that grow out of the characters that can create mm-hmm. some conflict, uh, you know, I would have enjoyed it. That's a good pick. Yeah. I think that I think that would have been a, a really good pairing. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> and that's a, that's the kind of writing that I expect from you when your Starfleet Academy show goes into production. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm bringing back Jake and Zial. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with what you're saying, Charles, because I think the thing with, with Garrick is 100% understandable if she had fallen for Garrick. It makes sense because there's basically no other Cardassians around her that Mm. she has trusted. So I get that she could develop affection for him. And I know he said, um, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. When she died, he basically said the thing. He never really understood why. He he knew that, uh, I think think Jadzia told him that she loved him. And he said he never understood why. So I get it. Because she Neither can have did a, the audience. No, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it makes it makes sense as an older person, a mentor, and pretty much the only person of her. Well, she's half half uh, Cardassian. I get it, but it, I agree with you. There could have been something else to give her more to do. So I agree with you. She could have had strong affection for Garrick, but truly dated someone else. So I think what you're saying makes sense. 
Yeah, that relationship would have been better as a mentor mentee thing than yes, the mm-hmm. romance that they tried to force yes. in there. Yeah, exactly. Well, it also doesn't help that um, Andrew Robinson said for years he played Garrick as gay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. I, somebody wasn't talking to someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Good commentary. <laughs> I came from the heart. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right. Who's up next? Okay. So we were just on the topic, but Garrick and Bashir. Okay. Oh, yeah. Or maybe not like a relationship, but uh, um, something developing further that they seem to be starting with at the beginning of season one, just kind of forgot about. Yeah, I mean, they, mm-hmm. they have great chemistry together. I don't know that getting into a relationship with Garrick would be wise for anybody. Correct. For anybody. Right. No. But um, yeah, I would love to have them. It was the 90s, and I know that Star Trek wasn't going to do that. But um, no. yeah, th- there's a lot of interesting things they could have done there with with those two characters. Yeah. Agreed. And they, they did do a lot with them. They did. They, yeah. and, and I think it was interesting that the, the, the relationship between them that did develop. And, you know, it's funny that uh, with Julian, he was always like on the hunt for some chick to date or whatever. And I don't know that he ever really scored a solid land on that thing, but developed two really strong relationships with men, one being Garrick, of course, and one being Miles. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I don't know. It, it, it's just it's so it's an interesting twist. Yeah. Especially when you think of how a untrusting he was of Garrick at first and how much Miles couldn't stand him at first. Mm-hmm. And these two really, really wonderful friendships uh, grow and develop from that. And I think it's fantastic to see. Oh, yes. yeah, absolutely. And I mean, frankly, his his relationships with men are more memorable than his relationships with women on, on the oh, series. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did think that he was was nicely paired with Esri. Yeah, I, I yeah I, he's he was creepy about Jadzia for a long time. Yes, and yes, yeah. So that kind of that puts a kind of a shadow on it for me. But um, yeah, I, I agree. I yeah, agree. but yeah, I thought that they had good chemistry together, though. Yeah. Okay. All right, Alan. Down to you again. I've got it. Oh, good. I came up with it. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to jump back to Enterprise okay. and. A relationship that was sort of planned and could have was, I think, intended to develop over time, but became an impossibility. And that is uh, from uh, it started in an episode, one of my favorite episodes called Dear Doctor, and it's uh, Dr. Phlox and Lieutenant Cutler. Yes, I yes. loved her. She they it was such a wonderful episode and they used her. Um, attraction for him as part of the, the the message that the episode was trying to get across and as sort of like a learning thing. And, and I thought that they had, they, they had a really lovely chemistry and it was such an unexpected pairing, but it, it, it made sense when, you know, you kind of see how they work together on screen and um, Cutler was played by um, Kelly Waymeyer, and unfortunately, she passed away. Uh, she made two appearances on Enterprise and passed away at a very young age, yeah. um, not too long after that. And so the continuation of that character, you know, uh, wasn't possible, which is such a shame because I really loved her character. And 
I thought she was a wonderful addition to the cast and uh, it, it opened up and had potential to open up further new dimensions of uh, Flox's character. So that is the relationship that I would like to have seen developed more if yeah. it had been possible. Yeah. And I mean, she is one of those characters who immediately came on screen and became a fan favorite. Exactly. And in fact, when you, when you said I'm going back to Enterprise, my first thought was, oh, I bet it's those two, <laughs> you know, because yeah, you're right. Um, it was she just was just very memorable. She was just fantastic. And yeah, it absolutely. Been, it would have been great to see her continue on. And it's tragic that, we, you know, that that wasn't yeah. able to happen. Right. Very yeah, she sad. was a, she was a very sweet character. You're right. Um, mm -hmm. She came on. Everybody liked her. And I and I agree. I like the learning experience because. The Dear Doctor episode one, there was the whole thing about letting perhaps one whole race or, or species die, which was tough mm -hmm. for her as a, as a as a human first going out in the space. And then having to understand the dynamics of the Nobelian, uh life, because the whole thing with him having what three wives and each wife had three husbands. And there was some very different things that she realized would come into play if they were even going to date. And little weird things, as affectionate as, as the doctor was and as the Nobelians are, there was one time, I think, an episode where she touched him and he yeah. kind of, he bristled. And then she said, oh, I forgot, the Nobelians don't like to be touched, which is interesting because they talk about their planet is incredibly crowded, mm. but they love it, but then they don't like to be touched. And so, yeah, there's all kinds of potentials for an interspecies relationship where you just learn things that to humans seem normal. You just want to touch somebody because he was really upset mm. and you don't do that with that culture. Yeah. A great episode and great character. I think it's interesting that of our eight picks between the four of us, like five of them were from DS9 <laughs> about, about relationships. Yes. Oh, yeah. but, but that, that tells you everything about DS9. Yeah. Right. And what incredible character work that show did. Yeah, and yeah. what a great cast that show had. Yeah. And Absolutely. not just relationships that were on screen, but relationships that weren't, <laughs> you know, yes. mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, we put um, this out to our uh, Facebook audience and we created a poll and um, I, I laid it with all the relationships in the show that I could think of and uh, threw in a couple of silly ones. And to my surprise, some of the silly ones rose up kind of near the top, which I was very happy about. <laughs> um, so here is the top 10 that our Facebook audience voted on as the best relationships ever in Star Trek. Wow. We have uh, at number 10, Burnham and Book. Okay. We have uh, at number nine, Crusher and Ronan, the Candle Ghost, <laughs> oh boy. which I love. Would uh, that be Burnham and Book? Wow. <laughs> well, they both, they, it was kind of a tie. So, you know. Um, uh, and then number seven is Miles and Julian. Okay. Yeah. Hear that a lot. Number six is Picard and Crusher. Mm. And what's that? That makes five. Okay. Uh, is Garrick and Julian. Is that right? Wait, five, one, two, three, four. Okay. So, whatever the next one is, is <laughs> Saru and Tarina, which we didn't really talk about. That's true. Oh, yeah. 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 That's sweet. Riker and Troy, which was really, as far as like the uh, 24th century Star Trek goes, was the first relationship we really had. Yeah. The first one that we really encountered on the show. Mm -hmm. um, our top three are Culber and Stamets. Number two, Troy and Chocolate. That was <laughs> my silly one so that I threw in. And I was so pleased that it made it all the way up to number two. I knew it would. And 
Oh, I did too. And the fan voted best relationship in all of Star Trek, Cisco and Cassidy. Hey. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Awesome. You guys chose well. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a good poll. Uh, let's see some of the other silly ones. I put in uh, Kirk and Carol Marcus, of course, mm-hmm. uh, Spock and Uhura from the JJ movies. Uh, none of these got any votes. Um, Esri and Julian didn't get any. V- Vandy Beth added Porthos and Spot. <laughs> oh boy! And and I put in Worf and his honor. <laughs> so so uh, according to our Facebook fans, Cisco and Cassidy are the greatest relationship in all of Star Trek. Yeah, and I think I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, I think so too. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that completely. Yeah. Well, thanks to everybody who voted in the poll. And if you're listening to this, you're not in our Facebook group, come join us and we'll do some more of this because I think it's I think that's fun. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a quick break to promote a fellow ESL Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. So stay right there. What? Do you like nerd stuff? I do! And do you like adult beverages? I super do. (laughs) Well, then you should join us with a drink. With a drink! With a drink. Um, But first, let's talk nerdy. Clink! (laughs) On the ESO Network. We'll see you on Tuesday. Maybe next Tuesday. Maybe. All right, so spoiler alert for the 50th episode of Star Trek Discovery, All In. This was number 50? This was the 50th episode. Okay, I didn't catch that. Nice. Yes. Well, I'm going to say that was a fun one. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. I had a great time. Yeah, it was great to see Star Trek. Okay, we kind of saw this in Picard in season one when they went to that weird whatever it was place where they had to dress up like pimps, but it was nice to see the discovery crew go to a new place. It was nice to see a new angle, a new sort of like a new direction for, you know, the storytelling. Yeah. And it was a fun place. It I wasn't like how they got onto it. Everyone wasn't just flying in the air and, and being <laughs> and crying, you know, like there was, which I don't mind. People complain about the crying. I don't mind the crying and it right. was used well, but it is nice to go to a, you know, a casino barge every now and then and getting fist fights and play poker and hustle people and have a little right on, you know, right adventure. on. And I'm going to say I have I haven't played in a while, but I have a I have a decent history of being a Texas Hold'em player, and I've done pretty well in a couple of tournaments and stuff. I need that set of cards. Yeah. Holy smokes. Those were awesome. Yeah. I like that. They had some like weird little space game they were playing it was like an alien poker, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I loved that whole sequence with, um, and this is jumping ahead quite a bit, but with um, Burnham and Book, mm-hmm. like, you know, facing off against each other. Who's going to win this game and who's going to, st- and the whole thing where you're like, this whole time you're like, he's going to, he's going to, you know, come around to her way of thinking. He's going to, you know, maybe give in. He's going to like at the last second, he's going to win this thing. And then they're going to pair up and do a thing. And, mm-hmm. and not, nope. No, no, nope. I didn't think for oh, a minute man. that he was going to back down. No, I had a, I had a suspicion that 
possibly yeah. would, but it could have. Man, that was yeah. I really like the way they handled Captain Burnham in this episode because from the beginning, when they say you stay out of it, you know she's going. Yes. But I love well, that exactly. I love that it was Vance that brought her in and basically told her do your mission, but also find book. And you know, you know from her history that she's going to go cowboy. And she's going to go and like, I know I'm supposed to do this thing, but I'm going to do this thing instead. Mm -hmm. This time she did it under direct order. Her superior said, I know you're, you've been told by the boss to do this, but I want you to do this because I know you want to do this while also doing what the boss said to do. Right. (laughs) Brilliant. I loved it. I thought it was so great. And then at at the end, I love that she goes through all of this thing loses in the end. But turn out she had yeah. an ace up her sleeve from yes. you know half the episode ago. That makes yes. sense. Yes. Yes. Man, I thought and because she knew. She yeah. knew that. Oh, I thought it was great. And especially if you get to the point where you've got the thing in your hands. <laughs> yeah, put a tracker right. on it. Of course. Right. That's it's that's that was great. I, I just and I love having OO in this episode. Okay. Let me just say the the greatest line of dialogue in the history so far of Star Trek Discovery. And this is a paraphrase, and this is Burnham. Saru, I'm going to go do this thing, and I'm going to take Owo with me. <laughs> I was like, there we go. That's yes. the episode I've been waiting for. Absolutely. Owo going to get something to do. She's going to get off the ship, and she's going to, you know, she's handpicked to do a thing. And it's just the two of them, and she's going to get dialogue, and she's going to get an important role in the, in the episode. I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and she was great. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So good. So good. Not just in the fighting scenes either, but in the, in the, the dramatic scenes that they were, that they gave her, they gave, I mean, you know, like this really only happened once before. And that was in season two, second episode, new Eden, when she got picked for um way team and away mission yeah. with uh, Pike and uh, Burnham. Mm-hmm. And she, she got some dialogue and, you know, and, and she was there. Yeah. This one, she got some significant stuff to do. Oh yeah. Finally. Yeah. Finally. So I was, I was all for it. I was all in as they say. <laughs> <laughs> I had weird reactions. I wrote in my notes, not these tropes again, the mm. bar fight, the cage match, the poker game. And so I kind of rolled my eyes at that. And I had a, this is me. I had a really weird thought. I would like to do a challenge to any series, whether it's real life or futuristic. And that is, could you write an entire series and never go into a bar and have a fight? Never, never, never have somebody have to do a gladiatorial contest to win some money and never have somebody steal a ship or an entire empire based on a card game. Is it possible? See, those those are tropes, but I would I would go the opposite and say every show is required to have characters in a bar fight. <laughs> there has to be a trial episode. And for every there you series. go. I, right. I don't mind it because it's been so I don't long either. since we had a lot of these tropes. And I, I was going to say, I don't think that they are overused. Yeah. And you know certainly what? on Discovery, this is the first time we've seen this kind of thing. It's, it's funny. It's because I, I, I literally, I'm looking at my notes and I'm literally like, oh my God, I roll. They're doing all these tropes again. I got to admit, I had fun. And um, what was really weird is the natural 
not the Nashville, well, is Nashville the right word? The ease with which Burnham and Book were, jou- were jou- jousting each other and, and kind of ribbing each other. I loved it. They really did come off like a real couple that loved each other, even though they were about to you know, go completely. I loved the way they were talking to each other. Like, yeah, I'm going to win this. I'm going to win it. You can tell they really get along. Mm-hmm. And I can believe that they spent, what was it, a year, a year and a half together doing whatever the heck, you know, those that lost time when Burnham appeared in the future before the ship. You can tell they went through some stuff together because they really have a good chemistry. And I actually yeah. like that. And I thought there was a really good piece of acting from Nico Martin Green when mm-hmm. book one. And yeah. as you guys were talking about, and he was still committed. She was hurt and she yeah. was shocked. There were so many emotions playing across her face. It mm-hmm. was amazing to me. It was, oh, I can't believe he did this, but I got to do what I got to do. And I yeah. thought that was a great little moment. And one of the things I have to throw in, I didn't want to laugh because, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm babbling about cliches and tropes. But when that freaking shape shifter turned into a triple and ran across the floor, and I didn't want to laugh. That, <laughs> I didn't want to laugh, but I died. Speak, speaking <laughs> of that, we have, at, after all this time, we have gotten our first changeling yeah 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 and what that does that mean? was that blew me away i did me not too. expect that yeah i said that this morning i was like it's a real changeling <laughs> it's a real changeling yeah right wow. what does that mean what are they doing what's up with the changelings now are they cool are they part of the federation <laughs> i don't <laughs> yeah, know are they, are are they, they cool yeah well, are they peaceful are they part of the federation do they like solids now there's a whole lot going yeah, on I mean, there th- this could be you know one from the great link or it could be one of the ones they sent mm-hmm. out like odo and lass that yes uh, yeah. still out there somewhere I, I didn't like the change of effect no. like odo was always liquidy and this yeah. guy was dusty right i did not like that mm. i agree i mean it's I, fine it doesn't make no. any difference no. you know in the long run but i was disappointed to not see a liquidy change rather than a dusty change if, if it had been that sort of gelatinous change like odo did you'd have yeah. known yeah. it was a changeling before you saw the makeup you know, like that's so distinctive for Odo yeah. and his people yeah. and the way they shapeshift. I'm not saying that they should. I'm saying they should have done that because then, you know, that it just feels like that's, that's what's right for the character. Because even as Odo's, the special effects evolved over the seven years, but it yeah. was always it had that same sort of gold gelatinous look, mm-hmm. to it. you know? Yeah, I yeah. didn't realize it was a changeling. Like, I didn't connect that in my head. Oh, when they first even when you saw him? But did- no, like when they dissolved into oh, the right. trouble. Well, like once I like, yeah, he, but they they said it was a changeling before that happened. They said changeling, but that could mean shapeshifter. Yeah. You know, that could just well, be sure. But when well, they say changeling, you know, like someone woke me up at like five a.m. to watch this. I definitely had to watch it again. <laughs> uh, there was no yeah. telling what. Even I when they said oh, changeling, I didn't. I didn't think about the fact that it would be an actual changeling from the Great Link. I just thought it was a shapeshifter. Right. Like we've seen shapeshifters pop up on lower decks and right, that right, sort of right. thing. So it, I, until I saw the the makeup, I I didn't realize it was like no, no, it's, it really is a changeling. I mean, I had the same reaction. I mean, I, I I heard what they said and I thought, is that what they mean? Mm. And then it changed into a triple, and I thought that's that's super cool and, yeah. and really funny. And then it changed back, and it was the face, and I was right. like, yes, yes, that was really exciting. Oh yeah, it was, and it was the best use of a triple that Discovery's had yet. <laughs> they've had a few tribbles in there. Good point. Yeah, I Good agree because I, I didn't want to laugh, but that one at least made I, that one did make me laugh. But despite myself, so, trouble. Um, I was I, move yeah. apparently. Yeah, boy, no kidding. <laughs> well, they got to get they got to get away from those. What are the things in the animated series that jumps around and the glomer? 
glomer. Thank you. If I was going to shapeshift into something to get away, though, it'd be something that had legs or wings. Of, of course. <laughs> of course. Species 8472. Anyway. All right, go I'm ahead, Keith. What were you going to say? Um, book trusting Tarka is a little weird to me. Even though I know Book lost his entire planet and he is so grief-stricken that you can't even comprehend. And I'm not even saying that Tarka is devious or anything like that, but I guess this is just what happens when you're so overcome by grief. Because sometimes I'm like, Book, you know, maybe you need to stop and think for just a second because, I don't know, it's just weird stuff. He's like, how long you need to build an isolated weapon? Oh, about 24 hours, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. There's something about that guy. I don't know. He may end up being sincere or he may end up being some kind of weird con artist. I don't know. He's just something about him that makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I then there are days when I think, why is Book trusting him? But then I go, okay, but Brooke is, Book is completely. And I and Book said something. I went back and watched the two episodes preceding this one so I could have some kind of continuity. And um, I had kind of forgotten that because Book is an empath and all, empath and all this stuff, Book said he felt all those deaths. Mm. Almost like the way Spock felt the cry of the um, the starship, the Intrepid, was mm-hmm. it? Yeah. That was destroyed in uh, the um, the immunity syndrome. Right. And so I think Book is a little Book has got some problems. Definitely, part of me doesn't think Book is desperate. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, yeah, that's and, what and it he is. sees yeah. this guy as the only guy who is who is thinking the same way he's thinking and who's right. going to help him do what he thinks needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not seeing to me some clue cues that would make me yeah. distrust the guy a little bit. And, and, and also based on what you said, Alan, I love the scene when the doctor was really blaming himself for not basically seeing that book oh, was yeah. that far mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. And they're kind of like, well, what do you do when somebody's that desperate? I mean, yeah. he's, he's like, you can't blame yourself for this. Book yeah. is way out there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure that Book trusts him, but I think Book, no, I I think, think I think Book believes that he's the guy who could do it. And exactly. Um, you know, he's just taking that chance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to jump back up to the top of the episode, and uh, I, I kind of want to uh, comment on the opening scene where the president is dressing down uh burnham and um admiral silver fox for not seeing what book was capable of becoming or doing i love that scene yeah. she was so good in it and and just i mean she let them have it oh yeah and and i thought that was a fantastic scene i thought the way that it turned from you know how did you oh, i can't remember how they put it but basically it was, we didn't see this coming. And her retort was, well, how did you not see this coming? Right. Yeah. And I thought, oh, it was, man, that was a great scene. It was cool how she did it because she told the, to the Admiral, she was basically with Tarka, you recruited him and you vouched for him and you should have known better. And then she goes, that was a, paraphrasing. That was a professional right. slip. And then she looks at Burnham. But George is personal. You really should have known. Right. Yeah. Okay. yeah right. Like, this is your fault. This is double your fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> I loved it. Um, one thing I wrote again, watching, I watched three episodes back to back and I, and I wonder if this is a, and I, one day I think there's need, we need to have a longer discussion about discovery versus original track. One thing that discovery, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing this one thing they're not doing that they absolutely would have done in the original series, honestly, is they should consider book and Tarka's plan. And it should be put in place, in my opinion, as a backup. And nobody has said anything about that. They literally said, I went back to the vote. They said, yeah. do we prepare for war or do we do first contact? And I'm like, do both. Because how many right. times in the original series did Kirk and them say things like, 
you know, arm phasers. I hope we don't have to use them. Mm. You know, let's do this and that. I know isolytic weapons are illegal, but I do agree with Tarka and Book in that desperate times, well, not desperate times, I don't want to say it like that. If it comes down to where you have to save another solar system, I think that should be there as a backup plan, in my opinion. I would try first contact, and I'd have a big-ass fleet ready to go, and I would go to the Federation Council or whatever and say, look, we got to build this isolytic weapon and pray we don't have to use it. Mm -hmm. And I specifically want as i watched those three hours of shows back to back i made a note because i didn't want to miss this there is not one mention yet of having a fleet ready to go there's mm-hmm. no mention yeah. of we nope. and i'm thinking that's a mistake and if they had done that maybe book wouldn't be so you know maybe he wouldn't run off like that yeah that's a really good so point you could yeah that is you could have yeah curtailed this whole problem by saying you guys get ready for first contact then you guys mm-hmm. work on plan b right, right. absolutely i mean that makes absolute sense yeah and th- th- of course, now they have basically mobilized a fleet because they have to find Book before yeah. he blows everything all to hell. Yeah. And I mean, maybe they should have done that sooner. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I mean, you're doing it because you pushed the guy that wanted to take action farther than you should have pushed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And keep in mind that when they took that vote, it was really close it was maybe 60 40 it wasn't like it was a unanimous vote to go with uh burnham's plan to try first contact it was super close and it could have easily gone the other way so there's you know almost half of the federation representatives who are not going to be happy if they try first contact and it fails Including so, um, you know, yeah. and those people, those 45, 40 to 45 percent of the people who voted the other way should be pushing for let's have a backup plan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, you, you get to this situation and, I, and Star Trek is always with the whether it was the uh, well, you know, again, times have changed because you think about it in the original series with that giant space for me, but they blew it up. You know, real good. They killed it. <laughs> uh, but by the time you got to D- DNG, they didn't kill things if they could help it, like the crystalline entity. Um, right. But, you know, now they're saying, well, these people are hunting for what is it, power sources and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, whether it's random, whether it's not it's not Ill- ill-intentioned, or even if they're looking for fuel, they kill people. Right. So, yeah, you might have to do what you might have to do. Um, so I, I think that was a that's the thing that I think the Federation then made a mistake. And I've. Um, and also, Alan, when you were saying how close this vote was, it's not lost on me that Earth, the Earth representative, was definitely in favor of attack. And Earth is like the one people that they're really wanting on their side for everything, you know, for the, the you know, the power of Earth and uh, the symbolism of bringing Earth back. And the lady from Earth was not in favor of the first contact plan. Mm, yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, Earth has been withdrawn for who knows how many years. Exactly. Yeah, no, they've been cut off from the universe. Right. right. So how how about the revelation that um you know this thing is not a weapon? That was that was really interesting because it, it was like you get these little scenes in this episode that really move the plot along. You're like, hey, I've been looking at this monitor for a while and determined that there's a giant <laughs> space structure out there and ima- impossibly big. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> oh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> That was some interesting deduction, deductive reasoning on Michael's part, where she basically windled it down to that one element that if it's not there, mm-hmm. then that tells you something. Yeah, and that was this, and, the same element from the Omega particle, from the Omega directive. Um, oh, I knew it sounded yeah, familiar, you, and uh, I couldn't remember. 
and I, I, I literally finished watching before I came on. So and I had the name of it. And now I, I oh, uh, Benamite or Bonamite or uh, Bor Bor something Bor Boromite Bor Boronite Bor <laughs> whatever it was. It was um, anyway. But it's that wow. same particle from the Omega Directive episode, which whether okay. that'll play in or not, but that was something right. that was scarce and powerful. Yeah. So mm. um, interesting. It seems like we've got I, this I, I, like weird super civilization outside the galaxy. That's mm -hmm. I don't know if it's if it's not even malicious. That's almost worse. If it's their their tools are working and sweeping us away. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and I, I love the line um, when they had thought this was a weapon all along, and now it's just something that gathers up whatever that element is. And the line was, "If if this is their dredge, what are their weapons like?" And that just puts this in a whole new, like, epic. Like, it was already epic. Now they've, like, magnified the epicness. Yeah, it's one thing to think that they're powerful and attacking you. It's another to think that they stepped on you by accident. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, like, you just run into their vacuum cleaner. Right. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was Boronite. Boronite. Boronite, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um I, I didn't quite catch it. What was the name of the race that they're saying is behind the DMA? Tensi. Well, they call it Tensi, but right. they, no, no, no. The they, other they one was no. The other one was a species that lives near the edge of the galaxy, and oh. they had like their star charts from their planet or star scans or whatever had picked up that area. Oh, the still or the silt or something weird something like, like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Right, because that's when they were trying to they were trying to get some maps and stuff from um buddy who was running that little floating casino Haas or has yeah. which I uh, love yeah. that casino. I thought that was a very memorable location, and I thought he was great with his little sayings yes. and everything. Um, yeah, he was funny. I I thought the dialogue in this episode was just great across the board. And right. there's there was it seemed like there was more references to weird space things than you normally get, where even even yeah. Stamets would be referencing some weird space thing mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> just in casual yeah. conversation where you know they'll, right. they'll take something that's like um you know uh chicken with his head cut off but it'll be like a a Florinekian mongoose with this you know what i mean <laughs> it just seems like there's a lot yeah. of that kind of stuff in this episode <laughs> yeah when he was talking about the game he said if you act like an armus yeah and then you're was that what he said yeah yes. if a-R-M-U-S, Armus. Yeah. If you yeah. act like an Armus, and then something to the effect that you'll find yourself floating in the ocean. Right. Um, and Charles, I agree with one thing I wrote is the shuttle approach to that casino was beautiful. Oh, that yeah. scene was beautiful. Wow. Yeah. With the yeah. Including that giant. Yeah, yeah, that was a hologram. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was cool. That's the way to get people to turn around. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, and I got to admit that Haas did make me laugh. He was, he was that kind of he was that kind of funny guy who's pleasant but might kill you at the same time. Because I yeah. like it when he was like, "Well, hey, Michael, I don't know what's going on, but I really, you know, I don't believe in this love stuff. But I kind of hope you guys, I hope you work it out, whatever it is. <laughs> but that right. would take your money." <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed Owo in the cage fight. Um, yeah, and and she's very believable, and I I love even the way it was choreographed. Where, it, you know, it, she was taking the stance like she's a trained like fighter, you know. Yeah. Whereas he was a little more. Um, you know, probably learn on the streets kind of a guy, you know, mm -hmm. where she was mm -hmm. very precise in her, in her moves. Yeah. Yeah. He's used to his size to intimidate and overpower right. people. Yeah. I just liked that. She was given the opportunity in the script to be the one to come up with the solution, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. It's, 
it's you know a, a, the barbaric you know act of going into a ring and beating the snot out of some other person in order to gain money but i liked that it was her solution that it was her that that got the answer to the problem you yeah. know rather than her being burnham's lackey mm-hmm. she had a very active role in the in the storytelling yeah 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 i agree with that and we had mentioned her strange outburst a few episodes ago but yeah um I like that that was the reason Burnham brought her along. Agreed. Agreed. It's it's a nice little bit of continuity. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a I think that was sometimes that was a better way to show that they're um, they have an emotional closeness sometimes than when they do because I don't recall I don't recall sighing with a monologue in the middle of really bad drama. I mean, in mm-hmm. the middle of major melodrama. I don't remember the action stopping where they gave a long speech about how they feel this time. So I thought yeah. that was really cool how that was handled as yeah. well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this may begin because I said I, I watched three episodes back to back to back. But one of my notes just says, I still don't trust Zora. <laughs> not, not because well, I you think. You shouldn't. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think. Yeah, it's not even that I necessarily think Zora is evil, but again, I'm going back to when Zora, we, uh, I'm just I'm doing this in context to everything, when Zora created her own failsafe and all this kind of stuff, and when they were talking to Stamets, they were basically saying, you know, Paul, come on, anybody, there's all these people on the ship that could destroy the ship, like the engineer could destroy the ship or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but not one person controls the entire ship on that level. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, know, I know she joined Starfleet, but she still the equivalent of a child or something like that. And it's kind of like she's pinky swears that she'll always follow Michael. I wouldn't be comfortable with that situation. That's I'm just afraid. And also afraid she's going to freak out again in the midst of a, of a, you know, of a real crisis, because now we know that unlike all other computers, she gets overwhelmed emotionally. It's like the, when I look back in the other episode, she was literally saying she had so much input coming in, she couldn't think. And then Gray had to make her calm down and play a game. So are you going to have to keep Gray? Well, no, they don't have Gray anymore. So I was going to say, was Gray going to calm her down every time? Yeah. Nope. (laughs) Forgot about Gray. Is Gray coming back? I hope so. I know what you're saying with the Zora thing. And that's the way I felt about it, too. Um, Yeah. I I would feel better about it if it was like, great, you can be part of the crew and we'll accept you. But also, you know, we'll have the option where we can drive when we want to. (laughs) You know? Right. (laughs) And it may, and here's the thing, and it may be me. It may be I've watched too many. My God, how many how many AI gone bad? Even unintentionally, movies have we seen in our lives? But even when Paul was going to run some things, she basically said, "I'll take care of it. That's too trivial for you to do. You got better things to do. I'll do it." And I was kind of probably want to do it myself. But yeah. hey, that kind of that's kind of a segue. I was, was going to ask, um, who do you think is any theories? Like who's ten, who are the the ten C? Who's in that? that structure outside the galaxy. Any ideas? Something nope. new. I think something new. I yeah. I would hope something new, but if it's not something new, I would love if they revisited that, the AI, like the super advanced AIs from Picard, because they dropped that plot thread on Picard and yeah. it doesn't seem like they're going to revisit it. Mm, but I think that right. it would, I think it would work well in discovery to bring that back because it's been so mm-hmm. like, a, a, almost a thousand years, but also yep. discovery has the the control history, but now they have this big AI storyline with Zora and Gray. So I think it would it, it might segue nicely if you know they get there and they have an AI on their ship, you know, and then it makes it sort of personal. I go along I with that. I never thought about that. Yeah. yeah, I never thought about that. Now that I've said that, I it'll thought- be like the Kelvins or something. It'll be something right. totally different. I have, right, I, exactly. You know I've seen that all over the <laughs> It'll be the pack lens. <laughs> oh, my god! I would be okay with that. I would be okay with that, too. 
that's funny. Oh, yes. I just had a random thought, which is how far can Discovery jump, I wonder? Because mm-hmm. they said that they had no information about anything right outside the galaxy. And I and I think it just, it. I guess, and I guess we had to burn. I remember in the Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, the episode where the Traveler came on board, Kaczynski said that in something like 300 years, that we had only explored 11% of the galaxy, mm. which makes sense given the speeds. Yeah. And I was kind of wondering, well, can't Discovery just jump right outside the galaxy? Because it didn't look like it was all that far outside the galaxy. No. And But just thinking about you know the, the world, the, the world building, it makes me wonder, does that mean that the Federation and Starfleet and humanity still haven't gone to another galaxy yet? Well, I would um, hope not. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they would have the technology to get there yet. Well, I mean, yeah. even even with the super advanced Kelvin technology, the Kelvins had it down to like 300 years between galaxies. Right. But even right. that, I mean, that's, I mean, even if they sent somebody, they might not be back yet. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's a good point because Kirk said they were going to send a ship to the to the Kelvins and say, "Hey, we're cool. You want to come hang out with us?" Yeah, I'm wondering how far Discovery can jump. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've never known if they were established with a single jump. And can it yeah. jump outside? I don't know. We, we saw them jump like 50,000 light years away um, mm-hmm. in season two yeah. Um, yeah. to that far side of the beta quadrant. So I, I think right. as, as far as they can calculate, I may, it may be down to how far mm-hmm. they can navigate, you know? That's yeah, that seems likely. Yeah. It's all down yeah. to the calculation. Yeah. And I, I hope that uh, what's his face? Uh, what's his, uh, I've got his name again. Torka, I hope Tarka and that portable briefcase size spore drive didn't get destroyed because it seems like it's the only one they got. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is which is yeah. silly. Like <laughs> you're just gonna take the prototype and leave. Like there's no scans of it. We don't have the plans. Like you know, <laughs> that, that was the next thing they were gonna do, but they stole it from him before they could do it. It was on a flash drive, and, and Tarka has it. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. And then Avril was dressing him down. How the hell did he get out there with this? And you need two passcodes. Well, yeah, one of them was yours. And he just kind of oh. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, it, I think it was good. I'm looking forward to next week. Me too. So, Alan, did we have a question of the week this week? Sure. So in this episode, um, we had a little scene with Stamets and uh, Culber. And Stamets is trying to get Culber to, um, you know, kind of unwind a little bit and, and take a little uh, mental time off from all the stress he's under. And they go for a walk amongst a field of flowers in the holodeck. And this is a late addition to my list of um, questions of the week. And it's not one from any of our listeners. It's actually one I found in a Facebook group. And I thought, oh, that's a really good thing. So I'm going to bring it out since it applies to this episode. And that is if holodecks were real, what fictional universe would you visit? Fictional mm. universe or period in history? Okay, Star Trek. Mm. No, you're already in Star Trek. <laughs> That's why hol- you have a holodeck. If holodecks were real, that means that they were here now, right? If, hol- <laughs> if you, okay, fine. If you were in, <laughs> if holodecks were real, that means all of Star Trek is real. Oh, okay. If I was in the Star so Trek. So you're universe. in Star Trek okay. and you have a holodeck. Where would you use it to, mm. to go? Oh, good question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Tamora Pierce series. Portal. Okay. Yeah. If I was a Star Trek character, my options would be Shakespeare or Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> right. <laughs> or Beowulf. So I'll go Shakespeare. <laughs> well, no, you could go to what nice. was that place? Charles, you go to, was it Sandrine's? That little bar? They, they <laughs> yeah. On? I'll go to Fairhaven. <laughs> Fairhaven. <laughs> Keith? 
Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm thinking about Holodex as a 21st century man who knows, who, who would kind of say, I wouldn't want to live in a fantasy all the time. But if I were going to just go for it, I would put myself into a comic superhero universe and have the mm. powers of somebody like Magneto or Superman. There you go. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have thought of that. Veronica, you did yours, right? Yeah. Uh, Tamara Pierce. Tamora. Whatever. Tamora. <laughs> Pierce, I'm sorry to ask. Yeah. Tamora Pierce. The Tortal universe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I would I have I have I've got two that I thought of. One is I have a desperate need to visit the dinosaur times and see what it was like, not just to see how big dinosaurs were or how little dinosaurs were, but everything about the environment. I, I, I'm just desperate to to actually be able to visit that. Yeah. The other thing I would do is I would recreate Lost in Space because mm. ever since I was a, a kid watching Lost in Space before I ever watched Star Trek, I have wanted to step foot on the Jupiter 2. So I would recreate in every detail the Jupiter 2 and do everything on that ship that I could do. Pilot it. And go down the little elevator thingy <laughs> and and talk to the robot and sleep in those little uh, rooms that has the 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 you know shower curtain <laughs> right. everything. I would do everything on that ship I could possibly do. So Al would be coming out of the holodeck in a carrot costume. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, he's talking about when it was good and in black. When it was good, I know, exactly. I know. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Oh, that would be cool because you could, you could fire up and hear what is still one of the best sounds in all of science fiction history, the engines of the Jupiter 2. Yeah, I love the yeah. sound of the engines on that ship. Yeah, yep, I agree. Phenomenal. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I can see doing that. Sleep in a freeze tube. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right, Al, where can people find more of you on the internet? Well, in addition to this lovely podcast, I have another little podcast called Modern Musicology, and you can find it on all the different uh, podcast services. And we also have a YouTube channel. Awesome. <laughs> and how about you, Keith? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and now Twitter again. Hey, and even though he doesn't know how to use it. <laughs> <God, no. laughs> and uh, the, the Facebook as well. The Facebook and on Facebook, especially <laughs> the ESO network groups. <laughs> yeah. Make, make sure you follow Keith on Twitter and message him. And then if he doesn't <laughs> message you back, don't take it personally. He's trying, right. I'm trying right. to figure out where it went. <laughs> exactly. And how about us, Veronica? Well, nerdy.com. Yep. And uh, when this airs, we will have just finished our, our show at the Puck and Puppet show uh, the previous weekend. And so our next show will be March the 6th. At the Sinful Sundays Burlesque Show, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And do you have a closing for us this week? Yeah. I've missed you like a Cardassian Mrs. Cake. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon 
or by shopping for the Tea Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.